You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbeck. Luke chapter 9. We're going to stand one more time to get your Baptist aerobics in. Luke chapter 9, verse number 1. Let's all stand. In the first service, I told them uh, a statistic. You know, I've been here uh, over 11 years, and, and there's a statistic here. And, I, and if you're a first-time guest, you need to know about this statistic. One out of every three people is good-looking at Central. <laughs> so look to your left and look to your right. If it isn't them, it must be you. Luke chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says through Dr. Luke, and he, Jesus, called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over, the, over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave, That town, uh, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. You may be seated. Uh, A few months ago, my wife and I decided to embark on doing some home improvements. And so there was a list of projects that we decided to do and and budgeted to do. And listen, I want you to go ahead and understand I'm not very handy, uh, but I do try. And so we made a list and we're still working through those. But one of the projects on the list was to mount a television on the wall. Now, I have never done it before, but I have seen it done before. And I was willing to give it a try. And so I got everything ready. I, was, I took an entire Saturday, set it completely aside to do this one task. I got the right uh, mount for, for this television on Amazon. And I, I, I got everything ready. I got a level. I got my, 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 my drill. I, I got these little anchors that you're supposed to use when you have um, a metal studs in your walls. And, um, and, and everything was there. And so I put it together. I did exactly what the instructions said. I'm actually one of the few men that do that. And um, I put it on there. And, and it was magnificent. I mean, literally, they, they was, it was held on there. I think that the kids could dangle on the TV and it wouldn't fall down. It would take an act of God for that sucker to come down. And so there I was looking at this wonderful thing that I did. This 39-inch TV is now mounted. Uh, this huge TV is now mounted on the wall. And I was so excited and I was so proud. And everything was just so great until I discovered one problem. I mounted the television two inches too tall. And so as the power cord dangled down, it could not reach the power outlet. What I learned that day is this. It doesn't matter how great of a job I do at mounting a television. It doesn't matter how great the setup is, how straight it is, how level it is. It doesn't matter how kind, what kind of tools that I use. If the TV is not connected to the power, it doesn't work. Amen? The same is true in your life, and the same is true... In my life and in our church, it doesn't matter how good we look. It doesn't matter the strategies. It doesn't matter how many tools we have. It doesn't matter how good we think we are. Without God's power, we are useless. 
And so today we are continuing a study going through Luke chapter 9 and 10. And last week we looked at the Great Commission, which is kind of like if you've ever seen one of those uh, shows or movies where you have the end or what seemed to be kind of an end, here's where we are, and then they go back in time. Well, that's what we're doing is we're going through Luke chapter 9 and 10. But last week I shared with you three convictions. And these three convictions are going to be what sustain all of us in the mission that God has for us. And here are those three statements. Let's all say them together. Number one. God wants to use. Two, God has empowered. God is with. And those are the three convictions that will sustain us in the mission that God has given us. Now, as we read in Luke chapter 9, it is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus with his disciples. This is his third general tour through the Galilean region. And he has spent now Quite a, few t- quite a few months, maybe even a year or so with his disciples, and now he wants to invite them to join him in the work of the ministry. For three and a half years, Jesus is going to prepare these men for the great commission that he is going to give them as we looked at last week. But as we look particularly in chapters 9 and 10, we're going to see that Jesus is like a mother eagle teaching her young how to fly. He is going to push them out of the nest for the first time. But before Jesus lets them go and sends them out, He's going to give them some brief instructions for the specific mission that he is giving them in that moment. And what we learn from these six verses is we learn how Jesus discipled his disciples. And as we look through Luke chapter 9 and 10 over these next few weeks, we're going to see how did Jesus disciple his disciples. And what we see in this message and what we see in this text is that Jesus is going to teach his disciples how to rely on him and the power of the gospel. So two things we want to look at this morning. Number one, remember the model. And number two, rely on the message. In verse number one, the Bible says that he, Jesus, called the 12 together. These 12 are those that are listed in chapter 6, verse 12 through 16, where Jesus called these 12 disciples. This was Jesus's small group. Remember, I told you Jesus was in a small group. If he was in a small group, so should you be in one. This was his discipleship group. These were men that he poured his life into to follow him in faith and lifestyle and to teach others to do the same. These men had been traveling with him for a while, and they've observed him. They listened to what he had to say. They saw him perform miracles. But yet these men were not the intelligentsia. They were not the technocrats. They were not well-educated or professionals. They were just seemingly 12 random guys that Jesus chose to do life with. And here in our text, he gives them power and authority to do things that they had never done before. He's going to empower them to cast out demons and to cure diseases. And in other passages that it's the same story here, Matthew chapter 10 says that Jesus is going to give them power to raise the dead. Up to this point, these are things that they had only seen Jesus do. Now, what's interesting is that from their calling in chapter 6 to this call again to sending them out in chapter 9, they will have witnessed Jesus do a lot of extraordinary things. And so they saw Jesus do things like heal a leper, and he overcame disease. They, Jesus uh, cured and healed a paralytic. He overcame disability. Jesus healed a man that had a withered hand. He overcame deformity. Jesus healed a centurion servant who, again, overcoming disease. In, in the city of Nain, he raised a young man from the dead. Jesus overcame death. Uh, in in um, uh, Simon's house, there was a, a young woman who was broken, and Jesus healed her of her disgrace. Jesus was on a boat with his disciples, and he calmed the storm. Jesus overcame disaster. 
Then Jesus goes to a town where there was this crazy man who was filled with thousands of demons, and Jesus exercised those thousands of demons from that man, showing his power to overcome the demonic. And then we see that at the end of chapter 8, Jesus heals a woman who had a chronic issue. He overcomes disease, and then right before Jesus sends them out, he cures, he heals this young girl from death and raises her up, and here Jesus shows us his power to overcome death. And so Jesus here, the same one who did all those extraordinary things, is now saying to his disciples, you have authority and power. You have power and authority. Luke is very explicit to share what Jesus gave them in this moment. Power, uh, the word here in the Greek is dunamis, uh, but the word power here, the idea of power, is the energy and capacity to do something. Authority is the right and permission to do it. And so Jesus not only gave them the power and the energy to do something, but he also gave them the permission to do it. He authorized them to do the same things that he was doing. And so the mission that Jesus is going to send them out in these villages is a short-term mission trip to do good deeds and share the good news. All of this was preparation for the Great Commission that he had given to them and to us today. Now, here's the interesting thing. It's interesting here that, Paul, that, that Luke here uses the word power and authority because, listen, power without authority is dangerous. A few years ago, uh, I was watching uh, a very important game that was played by the Kentucky Wildcats, and that's when we were good. And while it was in a very crucial moment of that game, a certain toddler took the remote control. In that moment, that toddler had the power. But they did not have the authority to change the channel. But yet they changed the channel. And guess what happened to said toddler? It wasn't good. It wasn't good. Power without authority is dangerous. But authority without power is depressing. You remember when you first got your license to drive a car? For me, I was at the ripe old age of 15. I was living in Arkansas at the time, and they're a little backward there. And so I, uh, I got behind the wheels at the age, the ripe old age of 15. But you remember when you got this license that says you are authorized in the state of whatever uh, to drive a one or two ton piece of machinery at speeds that can exceed 30 miles an hour and plus? You have the authority, but what if you don't have a car? It's depressing, right? All dressed up and nowhere to go. Well, here, Jesus gave the disciples both the power they needed to do the mission and the authority to do it. And listen, he's given us the same. Now, could you just imagine in this moment that rush and excitement that the disciples had? They had the ability to do what Jesus had done, to cure diseases and exercise demons and to raise the dead. But not only was it a rush, but it was also probably very humbling But yet what we learn here as Jesus is talking to them is that the real work was not so much to heal people, but to preach the kingdom, to preach the gospel. That this was more of a preaching assignment than it was a miracle crusade because in verse number two, the Bible says that he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Not to heal and proclaim the kingdom, but the kingdom of God and to heal. So that was the assignment. Now, the interesting thing is later on in John chapter 14, Jesus is going to tell his disciples, and even us today, in John 14, verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. 
and greater works than these will he do because I am going to my Father. So think about this. Jesus is saying not only to the disciples, but to you today sitting in the pew that there are things that you're going to do that are greater works than what Jesus did on the earth. Think about this. Jesus raised the dead. That's a pretty big. He fed 5,000. That's pretty big. He cured people of leprosy and diseases. That's pretty big. He gave sight to the blind. But yet he says greater works. Why? What is the greater work? All the miracles of Jesus that he performed on this earth were just signs of a greater and more significant work. You know what that work is? The work of salvation. Greater than raising the dead physically, greater than giving physical uh, uh, sight to the blind, greater than feeding multitudes of people is the miracle of salvation. That we who have rebelled and sinned against God can have a right relationship with him because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so every sign that Jesus performed on this earth was merely a pointing to what, what Jesus ultimately came to do, and that's save the world. And so when you and I share the gospel with people, and they believe in Jesus, and they are saved, they are transformed, it is doing the greater work. And so Jesus here was empowering them to do this greater work and giving them the authority to do it. And the reason that they could do it in this moment is because up until this point, Jesus has modeled to them what a spirit-empowered ministry looks like. He's, he's showing them what, what it means to really follow him. And this is what really disciple-making is. It's following Jesus, remember, in faith and lifestyle and helping others to do the same. And so what Jesus has been doing with his disciples and what he will do in the totality of his time with the disciples is he is going to apprentice them uh, through a progressive model, through a progressive method. Now, one method that maybe you've heard that I think we see Jesus doing is the method called MAWL, M-A-W-L, like you maul somebody. But this is an acronym that stands for model, assist, watch, and launch. And so you model it, you assist them, you watch them, and then you launch them out. We see this in the ministry of Jesus. Notice this four progressions here. What you'll see in Jesus is, number one, is that Jesus will minister while the disciples watch and listen and learn. So they, if you, particularly from chapter 6 to 9, Jesus is the one doing all the work. The disciples are kind of watching and learning and listening. And then what you're going to see the next progression, even in what we're going to get in chapter 9 next week, is that Jesus is going to allow his disciples to assist him in the ministry. So when Jesus feeds the multitudes, he's going to have them help. But then from there, there's this next progression where three, the disciples are going to minister and Jesus is going to assist them. And then finally, the disciples are going to minister and Jesus is just going to watch them, which is kind of what you see kind of happening here and later on in chapter number 10. And so if you are a parent or if you are a coach, you kind of understand the apprentice model. Now, as a parent, I'm trying to do these type of things and teaching my kids how to do certain things and have certain life skills. One of the things that my kids like to do is they love to play with Legos. They love putting things together. They are kinesthetic learners at times. And so I want to encourage them to, do, to learn things by doing things. Now, over the years, our family has bought a lot of cheap furniture from this great place called Ikea. And the wonderful thing about them is that if, you, if the kids break it, it's okay. And so, uh, over the years, we have bought things, and, and the kids have watched me put things together, and at times, I've let them have their, their little parts. But here a few months ago, we bought some, some little uh, 
bookcases, for lack of a better term, uh, little cubicle things, and, uh, and I wanted them to learn how to do this because they're now older and I want them to have some responsibility. Matter of fact, I want to kind of create a furniture-making factory here at the Brumback House. And so, um, well, you know, you can give a man a fish or you can teach him how to fish. And so I'm trying to teach him how to put together cheap furniture. Their wife will, uh, will thank me one day. Um, so anyway, so we bought these things. So the first thing is that I put one together and the boys watched me uh, and, uh, and, and they watched me and put it together. Then later on, I put one together and, and they assisted me. And then, uh, then I said, well, it's your turn now. And so then they put one together and I assisted them. And then finally, they put the whole sucker together and I watched them and praised Jesus. And so now they know how to do this. They know how to put cheap furniture together. And so uh, a couple of months ago, we bought, uh, actually uh, just after that, we bought some bunk beds and I ordered them in and they came in and they was in a huge box. And April says, well, when you get home from work, you have to put these bunk beds together. And I was so excited about that. And so, um, so later on throughout the day, as I was praying about this, this next venture that, that I had a task to do, uh, I got a picture from my wife in which it has the bunk beds completely done and the boys and Anna put it together, and it still works. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Amen? That's what disciple-making looks like. It's not that difficult. It's mauling. It's modeling, assisting, watching, and launching. And here Jesus has been for months or maybe years, been modeling, been assisting, been watching, and now is launching them out with training wheels. He sends them out in his power to do what he's taught them to do. This is our model. This is the model for making disciples. We share the good news of the gospel, of the person trusts Jesus as their Savior, and then we model. What you saw in the baptistry was with Brenton, who became a new believer of Christ, and his friend Brian, who was a person that was instrumental in him coming to Christ. Now Brian is tasked to make Brenton a fruit-bearing disciple, to help him follow Jesus in faith and lifestyle, and to teach others to do the same. And then you launch them. See, you should maul them. As a parent, listen, you should want to maul your kids. And some of you say, I don't have any problems mauling my kids. What I'm saying is model, assist, watch, and then launch them. The biggest problem that we have, especially even in the church, is a failure to launch. We like to have people stay with us, but there must be a launch. Even with our small groups, some of you have maybe been in the same small group since Jesus was on the earth. The goal of a small group is to eventually multiply. But here, these disciples, they were launched out, and we're here today as a result of their launching out. And so for the disciples then and for us today, the best way that you and I can live our life is to follow the model, to remember the model, to follow Jesus. How do we follow Jesus? How do we remember the model? We follow Jesus by learning from him in his word. You're never going to know much about Jesus till you interact with Jesus in the Word. You talk to Jesus in prayer. You share, the, you share your life with other followers of Jesus, and you learn through good times and bad times how to trust Jesus. See, the Jesus who did the impossible in front of these men gave them the authority and the power to do the impossible on the behalf of him. And the same is true with us. Listen, church, we have been given the power and the authority of Jesus We must remember the model. But secondly, we must rely on the message. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in verse number three, Jesus is going to give them some instructions on luggage and lodging. He says, take nothing with you on your journey. In other words, travel quick and travel light. 
Now, here's some good news. This is not a universal principle. Jesus here is not saying that you must, when you travel, travel with nothing. Oh, however, some of you men, if you need to use this as a verse to teach your wife or, to, or wives to teach your husbands on a trip, you can go right at it. Just know what's out of context and is not theologically correct. But nevertheless, Jesus says, take nothing with you on your journey. You tell that to your wife and see how that goes. Bring no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. What's the deal about the second tunic? Well, typically the second tunic was like used as a sleeping bag. And so don't bring a sleeping bag with you. Don't bring another blanket. And he says in verse number four that whatever house you enter, so you're to go in there, uh, stay there. And so you are to go with nothing. You're to enter into the town with nothing. You, all you have is the power of, the, of God and the authority of Jesus, and you have the message of the gospel. And you are to depend upon the hospitality of others. And so the people that accept you, that person of peace, you go, you find them, you go to their house. If they have you stay with them, which was a part of Middle Eastern culture, if they, have, if they say stay over, then you stay there. But the interesting thing is he says, you stay there. You don't go necessarily looking for a better offer. So if Joe the hobo invites you to his shack, you stay with Joe the hobo. It doesn't matter if there's roaches crawling around. Because if Bob the builder, who has a huge house on the other side of town, invites you, you can't go there. You stay with Joe the hobo. And the reason why is that he's saying here, you guys don't need to be known as just pleasure seekers or comfort seekers. You are to stay where God has sent you, invest where God has sent you, and you stay until God tells you to go somewhere else, like you've seen me do, Jesus is basically saying. Now, the question is this. Why did Jesus make these men live and serve like homeless guys? I mean, basically, Jesus says, I want you to couch surf in my name. They didn't have to. They weren't that broke. They had bread. They had bags. They had tunics. Jesus has given them authority over demons and death and disease. Why would Jesus intentionally make their journey harder and more difficult than it probably should have been? You want to know why? It was to make and keep them humble and dependent on God. Why does it seem, especially those of you that are new believers or maybe they've been believers for a long time, why does it seem like that ministry and living life for God is harder than it should be. I mean, why is it that there's no easy button when it comes to just living life in general? Could it not be the reason why your life may not be as easy as it probably could be? Is because God is trying to keep you humble and close? Could, could it be that he's trying to teach you not to be self-reliant and proud but yet dependent upon him? You know, sometimes things are often difficult to make us dependent. So when Jesus says leave with nothing and go with nothing but just the shirt on your back and, and the gospel in your heart and on your mouth, they were to be dependent on what God would do. Here's the question that for all of us in 21st century American Christianity, what are you and I functionally dependent upon? You know, we say we're dependent upon God and we say that we believe in the gospel but do we functionally live that way? You know, I'm, this is very introspective of myself. Sometimes I find it that I structure my life in such a way so that I only need God when things are really bad. Anybody else? That I, I so set up my whole life to where God is just an in-case-I-need-him emergency tool. 
Sometimes that we, we only turn to God when there's nothing or no one else to turn to. And, and what I find myself, even in ministry, is I turn to my own ingenuity, my own power, my own strength, and my own wealth to figure things out. But yet Jesus sent these men out with nothing but dependence on him. He gave them powerful miracles. These miracles were not the main thing. So many of you thinking, well, maybe this is what the church needs today. We just need to have a miracle crusade moment. Listen, there are miracles that happen every Sunday and every week, but it may not be the signs and wonders that a lot of people are seeking. There are miracles that happen every Sunday and every week, and that's people that were dead going and having new life in Jesus Christ. But the miracles, the purpose of the miracles was not just to have a miracle, it was to authenticate the messenger. And when the miracles authenticated the authority of the messenger, it pointed to the truths of the message. See, I want you to remember that Jesus didn't just send them out to heal the sick. The real work was to preach the gospel. They were to go out, and it was a ministry of good news and good deeds. It wasn't good deeds without good news. It was good news with good deeds. It authenticated the messenger, which also pointed to the truths of the message because he gave them a powerful message. The summation of that message is in verse number 6. It's this word that is used here by Luke when he says that they went and preached the gospel. The word here is euangelion, that they went out to preach the good news, the gospel. John Piper defines the gospel as this. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all of his enemies. I added the all. So that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, only everlasting joy. That's good news. That's better news than any news you'll ever hear. That's better news than anything you'll hear on television, anything you'll read on social media, anything in the newspapers or in the magazines. That's the best news the world has ever heard, and we sit there like knots on a log. This is the news that can change anything. This is the news that can change you. If you're here, whatever you're going through, this news of what Jesus did for you can change your life forever. Thank you for that one person who's a true believer. <laughs> Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Please move the slide. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God. Think, listen, don't fall asleep and don't leave the room. The gospel is the power of God. We do not put power in it. We do not energize it. God did it. His power is infinitely powerful. And therefore the gospel is sufficient for anything that God intends for it to do. It is the power of God for salvation to who? To everyone who does what? Believes. We don't make it powerful. I don't make it powerful. I can't manipulate you and make it more powerful. It doesn't need any more power. It's more powerful than anything the world has ever known. And that's why Paul says he wasn't ashamed of it. Because he wasn't ashamed because he knew its power in his life. And what makes Paul such a great witness for the gospel is that he was part of the evidence. God changed his life. See, the gospel is not just the power of God for unbelievers, but it's the power of God for believers every day. See, every day we must re be reminded of the realities of the gospel in our lives, of Jesus in our place, that Jesus did everything necessary for me to be right with God. 
that in Christ there is nothing that I could do that would make God love me more and nothing that I would ever do that would make God love me less than he loves me right now in his son, Jesus Christ. That there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What wonderful news. And the beauty of the gospel is that if God can save us from ourselves and from death and hell and the grave, then surely he can take care of us every day. See, the gospel literally changes everything. It could change your marriage. You say, Pastor, how does some story about some guy who died a long time ago change my marriage? I can't stand her. Well, what it can do is it can show you that God can do the impossible. That if God can love you as sorry as you are, sir, and save you and change you, that surely God can help you love her. And surely God can change her or vice versa. That's the power of the gospel. It can change your parenting. It can change your life. It can change your mental health. The problem is, is that I'm afraid that many of us in the church are ashamed of the gospel. You say, Pastor, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I have on my car a bumper sticker that says, Jesus saves. Well, I saw a lot of crazies the other day have signs that say, Jesus saves. It doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. How can we be ashamed of the gospel? It's when we tend to rely on other things to excite us or even to empower us. We don't look to the gospel. We look to self-help books. Let me just tell you something. You can't help yourself. That's the best thing you could ever know about self-help books. You don't have the power. What do you rely on? Do you rely on some sports team to excite you? Kentucky can't do it. Tennessee football can't do it. They're a train wreck. Even Alabama football is great and as powerful as Nick Saban has made that sucker. It can't save your soul. What excites you? Some self-help book or some conference or some something? What empowers you? Is it politics? Could it be that these past few months that God is teaching the church that there is no power in politics? Could it not be that God is saying that you're looking to so many things other than me and therefore you're going to be powerless? Christopher Binnick, who is a a blogger and an author, wrote this, and, and and I hope that you hear it. Uh, well, he says, the modern church has largely forsaken the gospel to perpetuate the institution. We have constructed edifices far too large and expensive to maintain. In doing so, we have forsaken the weightier teachings of Jesus focused on disciple-making and helping the poor. For example, we have turned many churches into nothing more than glorified entertainment clubs that numb the self-inflicted pain of pride and greed. Instead of helping people develop a new way of life and ultimate meaning in this technological age, we perpetuate insufficient theology that leaves people feeling helpless and without hope. And we then wonder why so many churches are declining and stagnant today in the United States. That's the power of the gospel. And so many churches are scared of sharing it. But we're not here at Central. But here's the truth. Not everybody's going to accept it. 
Verse number five, he says, when, whenever they do not receive you, shake the dust off your feet. He doesn't say if they don't receive you. He says when. It's not if they're going to uh, reject you. It's when they do reject you, here's what you do. You shake the dust off your feet. Now, this was something that was done by strict Jews in Jesus' day when they walked through Gentile lands. They walked through the lands of the heathen, and so when they got out of that area, they shook the dust off their feet, symbolizing that these people were not God's people. And, and so here, what Jesus is saying here is to these disciples is that when they reject you, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the gospel. See, here's the thing you have to understand. There is no such thing as indifference to Christ. You either receive him or reject him. There's no neutral ground. This morning, whether you're here for whatever reason, you cannot be indifferent to Jesus. You either receive him or you reject him. And so the dust of the disciples' feet, Jesus says, stands in judgment against those who reject the gospel. Mark chapter 6, verse 11, he says it's more tolerable for the city of Sodom, Sodom in the day of judgment than for these cities who rejected the gospel. Now here's the deal, Pickles. We tend to all be people pleasers. We want people to like us. So many churches want people to like them and want people to, to just think that they're the best. And, and I don't think that churches should be mean or ugly. There's too many churches. There's too many people that are mean and ugly. I've been in churches that are mean and ugly. Have you ever been in a church that's mean and ugly? Some of the meanest, sorriest, nastiest people are people that call themselves Christians. But here's the truth that you need to all learn. The gospel is offensive. It is. You know what the gospel says? Here's what the gospel says. The gospel says to a person, you're so wicked to the very core, you're so broken in every way that you are destined to an unending wrath at the hands of an all-powerful God. You go up to somebody and you tell them that. And then you say, your only hope is in one message and one man, Jesus, and no other. That's what the gospel says. It's offensive. To some, it's the power of God. To some, it's the smell of death. But here's what Jesus says. He doesn't tell the disciples, stay until the audience has surrendered. He says, no, some will listen and others will not. He says, I'm not sending you to save people. I'm sending you to speak to people. I and I alone am the one who saves. See, our commission, church, is not to create listeners, but to discover followers and make disciples of them. But there will be some that will reject. Will Mancini in his book, Future Church, says this. He says, the church has nothing to offer the world in the way of relevance. The world can always find a more pleasing alternative elsewhere. The one thing, however, that the church has to offer is the one thing that is relevant to every person in every age. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, the gospel is the word of God that will do the work of God. And all we are called to do is share it. Share it. You don't add to it. You share it and you depend on it. And that's all these disciples had to go on is they had to depend on it. And listen, that's all we have to go on as a church. We got nothing else. We can come up with all kinds of tricks and gimmicks and strategies, but it is nothing without the power of the gospel. See, we were sent to share. You were, listen, you and I were not saved just to be saved. You are not saved just so you can show up every other Sunday in church. We were saved to be sent. 
and we are sent to the broken and the hurting. We are sent to the wounded and the dying. We're sent to the poor and the helpless. We are sent to the addict and the prostitute. We are sent to the religious person and the atheist because the gospel can change anybody. And so what do you see in verse number six? Verse number six, Jesus is given this. He says, remember the model and rely on the message. And then the Bible says that they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Notice one thing. They didn't wait around for a warm fuzzy. Listen, if some of you are waiting for a warm fuzzy for you to share Jesus, you ain't going to ever share Jesus. They went out in power and authority and they remembered the model and they relied on his message to do the work that Jesus gave them to do. You know what a sobering statistic 78% of evangelicals, a recent survey that was just done, 78% of evangelicals in the United States, that's you and I, in a recent survey said that they had shared their faith with zero people in the past six months. Zero people, 78%. That means that only 22% are sharing their faith. We wonder why the church is going under. We wonder why the world is going to hell. We wonder. And here's the deal. The world's going to hell and the church is fighting with itself. Listen, the gospel is the only thing that can save people. And that's why every Sunday we preach the gospel and every Sunday I beeline to the gospel because it's the only thing that can save anybody. On Monday I was getting my hair cut. I know you really can't tell. Um, The older I get, the less you can tell whether I've had a haircut or not. I have less hair. But on Monday I was talking to a lady who was cutting my hair and she shared with me that she was from the Middle East. And so I asked her, you know, I've I've been quite a bit in the Middle East, and I asked her if she was Muslim, and she said, well, kind of. And I said, well, explain that kind of Muslim to me. And she said, well, I left my country about 25 years ago, Middle Eastern country, and I lost my faith. My religion told me, she says, that I needed to fast regularly and take that money that I would have spent eating and give it to the poor. She said, I've always just feel like that all they want me to do is something. And so that's what I did. I, I lived, I did so much things. I, I fasted, I gave the money to the poor, I did all these things. And then she said, then my mother got sick. And I prayed to Allah to heal her. I've been doing all these things for you, Allah. Heal her. She said nothing happened and she said she died. And I said, well, then do you still believe in God? And she says, well, I think so, but I'm not sure. And if there is a God, I'm not really sure he cares for me. And so I told her, and here I am. This is in Great Clips, all right? That's all I can afford is Great Clips, all right? They make 99 coupons work. And I looked at her and I said, well, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus. And I believe that Jesus is God and that he proved that he cared for me a long time ago because he entered into this broken world and he suffered and he died on a cross to pay for my sins. And while Jesus was on the cross, he cried out to the Father, He was perfectly obedient, but yet he cried out to the Father on the cross and heard nothing. And I said, you know why he heard nothing? And she said, no, I don't know why. And I said, he cried out to the Father and got nothing so that when you and I cry out to him, we get everything. Jesus is our only hope. And I told her, I said, look, my prayer is this week that God will show you somehow, some way, that he cares for you and that Jesus is God. And that's my prayer today. And I want you to be praying for that lady. That God would show her that he's real. 
Listen, only the gospel can produce real change. Only the gospel has the power to make a difference. Only the gospel can compel the persecuted church to keep gathering, worshiping, and sharing under the threat of death. Only the gospel can turn rebels into friends. Only the gospel can turn slaves into sons. Only the gospel can take the broken and make them the blessed. And only the gospel can take the weak and make them strong. It'll make a weak man mighty. It'll make a mighty man fall. It will fill your heart and hands and leave you with nothing at all. It's the eyes for the blind and the legs for the lame. It's the love for hate and the pride for shame. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. That's the mighty, mighty power of the gospel. And that's what we need, church. And so you may be someone who has it all together, all figured out, but if you're not plugged into the power, you're useless. Today, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, oh, what a day. Oh, what a day, amen? So I want to give you an opportunity. So everyone in this room and those of you watching online, bow your heads, close your eyes. And those of you that are believers, pray for those that are not. Remember I said no one can be indifferent to Jesus. The Bible says that as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. So right now, if you're here and you're not sure that you're saved or you want to be saved, you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to change your life, then maybe you pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done so many things that are not what you want. But Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. And I ask that you be my Savior and Lord. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. So Jesus, take my life. It's yours. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those in this room that are believers, that you would help us to be bold, to share the gospel, to trust you with the results. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're watching online or you're in the room and maybe you just recently, right now or Earlier, you have prayed to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. We would love to hear about that. And you can let us know by texting to 407-338-4024. You can just text in, say your name, say, hey, I just prayed to trust Christ. Or, hey, I want to be baptized. Or, I need to talk to somebody. I need somebody to pray with me. Or, I, I want to know what, what does God have for my life, and I want to use it for His glory. Whatever that is, text into this number. Or, if you're in the room, you can even scan that QR code, and there's a link that you can also share as well. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.